HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit cane5.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
welcome to Snacky Tunes. Uh, we are in the... I don't even know what part of Grand Central Market this is. <laughs> this, this is the secret the, office. Like this, the secret... The mall room. The secret office of Grand Central Market. We're here with Sarah Kramer and Sarah Hymanson of Mad Capra. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Really? Happy Thanks to be here. for having us. Um, thank you for opening up what is maybe one of, if not the best falafel place downtown um, and in the greater parts. Let's, let's hope that's the case. I hope that's the case. Certainly at least downtown. <laughs> you never know once you get to like the weird, like, like more like smaller ethnic pockets of, totally. of totally. LA. Well, we like to think we do something different. Yeah, we're a slightly different breed of falafel place, but, uh, you know, we like to, uh, put ourselves in a slightly different category because we think the two are just like not exactly comparable, but we love old school falafel. Oh yeah. What, what do you consider old school falafel? Like your like classic, classic, greasy, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, pita pocket, yeah. cucumbers, tahini, tomato, lettuce, a lot of lettuce, or like purple cabbage, oasis. No, oh, wait, that, that's like a little bit, that's not quite classic. I think it's pretty classic. No, no, no. Or like here, Aurochs, like falafel Aurochs. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Pickles. Yeah, some stuff. So, uh, like me, you two are um, New York transplants. We are. Um, and you two both started, well, not like me, but you two both started in fine dining. Um, yeah, I, I certainly did. You started a little bit more casual than went casual. fine. Yep. Um, but we both worked at Blue Hill and Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Um, and different times. Different times. It was actually my first cooking job 10 years ago. Um, at Stone Barns right out of culinary school. And I initially worked at this place called Applewood um, in Park Slope, which is now closed. It was open for 10 years. Wow. Um, very, very seasonal. But you know what? Maybe time. Time. I just talked to the chef yesterday about it. Are there times, I mean, when restaurants, like, it's still love, it still does well, but it's time to close it? Yeah, absolutely. That was, like, this chef had moved away from the city, and he was trying to run it a little bit from afar, and it ran its course. It was a great, like, beloved restaurant, and... Ten years is a long time. It's a long time. time it's a good to move on. And Ten. also, if it doesn't like make sense with your personal lifestyle anymore, and like where you're at in your own life, and you have to like make sure that that's all in line. You know, that's an interesting point of just, you know, especially from what your backgrounds are in fine dining, but opening up this more casual falafel restaurant, and then also with Glassery and other restaurants under your belts. Um, how much of the restaurant needs to be who you are? I think I mean, a lot. The, a lot I think it. that the quali- the qual- quality really suffers if it isn't, and you can see very clearly when restaurants are open and they're a, sh- a shell instead of filled with someone's. It sounds sort of cheesy, but like without a soul. Yeah, where yeah. someone goes like, I've never made pizza, but I'm gonna open up a Here's pizza restaurant. Yeah, that or like when someone does have soul in the beginning, and then you know either they like lose it over time because of you know, apathy or distance or whether they lose it over time because they've gotten too big, um, you know, and they've like kind of moved on from their, their location and, and you see that lack, I think, at a certain point, unless you're able to like really maintain it in a way like, um, put really good people in place who share your vision and integrity. That's the goal. (laughs) It's so authenticity, integrity, all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think authentic to who we are. Um, I think we would never claim authenticity, uh, like as a like food concept or as like a sense of place, um, except within the concept of like 
who we are, the vision we want to see come alive, and um, you know how we want it to exist in the world, and you know what we espouse to believe. So, when you say authentic to who you are, is that different than like being an authentic interpretation of a dish? Uh, yeah, definitely, totally, definitely. Um, what is, I mean, authenticity of a dish is. I don't even know what that means anymore. Sure. Um, and it's definitely not anything that we would tie ourselves to or strive for. It's just not our style. Not, yeah. yeah, it's not our style. I think that like people see authenticity in different ways based on their own upbringings and based on their place in the world. And I think that Sarah and I um, both feel like we don't come from a place with like um, a lot of like authentic food traditions. Um, I certainly feel like I don't. No, I definitely yeah. don't. And uh, we kind of use that to to our advantage. We like are able to take things that are traditional and turn them into something that we you know think feel has ours. a place in the world and feels like yeah is our interpretation of whatever that thing is or you know and that and that is authenticity for us. It's trying to pursue the things that we really believe in and really, we really want, both on like the actual like dish and flavor and, and food front and on like the sourcing front. That's like a really big thing for us. Oh, so how did you two meet? We met quite a few years ago now, actually. I know, it's crazy um, now. I talk about it as this was a, a, a hard moment in my life. I had just, I had been working for a few years at this restaurant in Park Slope, this place called Applewood. And I was in a relationship, and I was trying to have a more sustainable life. The person I was with was not in the restaurant industry, and I was just trying to be involved in food in a different way. And I briefly, for maybe two months, worked at the Brooklyn Kitchen, and I was just miserable. I was like, felt like I was sacrificing my life. It was just horrible. I was very angry. <laughs> and I was working at the Meat Hook, which at the time was inside of the Brooklyn Kitchen. Right, right, right. Um, and like, I didn't. No, Sarah, we we just barely met, and like just in passing, we were kind of in two different like parts of this shared space, and I didn't know that she was a cook at all. Like I didn't know she had any cooking background. But I think I told you that I was. I don't. I, I don't think <laughs> so you did. I, I don't think I don't like I genuinely don't think you did. Anyway, there's clearly some nebulous, <laughs> nebulous memories happening here. I just wanted to be seen. <laughs> she just wanted a lot of. Um, you know, recognition from me, and I did not give it to her. But like, honestly, there was like a two-week <laughs> two period that we like crossed paths. It was like so short, it was very short. She was like pricing things in the back room, and I was like cutting cases of cabbage. Right. And it was, like, not a fun time. It wasn't the it wasn't the most fun for either of us. Um, and then when you were leaving to go work at Blue Hill, where Sarah knew I had already worked, she like came up to me and she was like, "Oh hey, I'm gonna go work at Blue Hill," and I was like, "Good luck." <laughs> and I was like, "She's a fucking bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. Like genuinely, I, was, I had no idea that she had any cooking experience. I was like, I can't believe you're going to go work there because it's really hard. And I was like, that's a bold move. It wasn't meant to be dickish. I was just like, you're going to need that luck. And then did you two keep in touch or did you run into each oh, other? No. no. And then I worked at Blue Hill. I mean, you just heard what she said about yeah, 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 yeah. And then, but then, I, so then Sarah, Sarah had been and then, and was working in the Andrew Tarlow world. Shout out to Andrew Tarlow. Shout out. I love time. I don't know how he does it. He's with incredible. Like, with, like, the restaurants and the kids oh, and he's always looking dapper. Yeah. Like, he might have a secret twin. He's got he's got magic. He might have, like, a secret, like, stunt double. He also has his wife, who's amazing. Yeah, he has his wife, Kate too. Kate is, like, she's got her shit sewed together. And yeah, but I, I, I love I love Perfect little family. 
Um, so but I knew a bunch of people also at that point in, in the Andrew Tarlo world. and a lot of crossover, a lot of friend crossover. So I like, worked at Blue Hill for a while, and then I opened Mission Chinese. You also like, heard more about me at Blue yeah. Hill as well when yes. you were working there. Yes. Only positive. Only positive. <laughs> so you two were from afar able to move forward from... Truly, I never even thought about her again. <laughs> and so then how did you connect in a way that you were like, we're not only going to be friends, but we can be partners? Well, then years later... After I opened Glassery. And I... found still best rabbit dish of all time. Thank you. Very, very delicious. And you made promises that it might come back to LA in some form. It might come back to LA in some form. Yes. What are you talking about? It, it will. Yeah. We, can it will. Go. we can get there. We can, we can get there. <laughs> but so then you two reconnected. Right. Well, I. She came in to, she came in to eat. Yeah. She wanted to size me up. I was like, oh, Sarah Kramer opened a restaurant. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I really, I was like, not a bunch of traveling. And I came back to New York and I was like, where am I going to work now? Like, Gramercy Tavern or. I went in, I ate a glass and I really loved the food. I really felt connected to it, to the voice, Sarah's culinary voice. So sweet when you say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, someone who had worked at the Brooklyn Kitchen was a server at Glassery, and he recognized me, and he was like, hey, Sarah. And he told me, he was like, do you remember that girl, Sarah, who uh... worked at the Brooklyn Kitchen? And I was like, I don't think so. And then she walked into the kitchen after her meal. I mean, I treated her nicely because, you know, Kendall recognized her. Yeah, of course. I was like, yeah, I think I think maybe. I was like, circus girl, right? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, cool. And so then after her meal, she came into the kitchen and I was like, of course. And she's like, look, I'm so cute. And I was like, oh, we could be friends. Awesome. Yeah, and she was also like telling me that she um, was looking for a job, and then I like immediately set to trying to convince her with like every fiber of my being to work. Yeah, um, to work with me because I was like desperate. I had had already like two sous chefs. Uh, this was like in three months. I was on my third sous chef. I had like the first one after one day, like get arrested and never show up again, and the second one was like pretty old and like really not. Dyers, really? Dyers. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Dyers. He was like, pretty old. Not that there's anything wrong with like people who are a little bit older working in the, in the industry. I feel like we're, we're getting there ourselves. Yeah, but um, he just like was uh, an old dog and like not really, not really having it. And not hip to the, not, yeah. not, not hip to the scene. Yeah. And uh, but I like was desperate. It was like me in the beginning when my sous chef quit. It was like me, this guy Kelvin, who is like a legend in. Uh, the Brooklyn food scene as it or the, the greater New York food scene as it is and you know that's like a whole other interview just talking about <laughs> Kelvin. Kelvin and this guy Kenji who was like an artist prep cook dishwasher and then he would also like do salads so like and he lived like an hour away and he lived like an hour away and he was like Eeyore um, and he would for the first few weeks while I was like really trying to figure it out he would like go between the dish pit and the salad station and I was like doing half GM and expo on the saute station just like me it was miserable it was crazy and it's like a pretty big restaurant you know and it was it was a lot so I like was in desperate desperate need and Sarah saved me and that lasted a few months and then <laughs> <laughs> it was a very sad sad moment when I heard that it was, things were changing at yeah. class three. it was a sad moment like, we gotta go yeah and is that when you both decided that it was time to go to, to leave the town and to go to start going to LA? Yeah, I mean, we like, 
con- we were considering our options. I think we were also like forming the idea of working together as partners and um, what our next move really was going to be. And but it was generally, I would say, it was a quick decision. Yeah. I think for a moment we were like, well, do we stay in Brooklyn. I mean, we left. I left Glassery in March, and I left like a few weeks later. Yeah, and then we moved here in July. July. I mean, I left. Brooklyn at the end of May, like May 31st or whatever, wow. it's like my last day in Brooklyn. Alright, well we're going to take a quick break, we're going to hear a song from Helios and the Savoir Fair, and then we're going to talk about your move to LA and then getting started, cool, and cool. The, the LA food scene. Right. Uh, you are here with the Sarahs, do people refer to you as that? Yeah. All the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the but time. But one is an H and one is no H. Yeah. Correct, but you can, you know, parenthesize it. Yeah, 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 I see it. Uh, here on Snacky Tunes. Snacky Tooth
iTunes have Sarah and Sarah of Mad Capra here in LA at the famous, infamous Grand Central Market. You and get, famous. And famous. I think it's it's one of those few places that, that gets both famous and infamous. I think it had some I think it had some infamous years. Um, and uh, as in downtown LA. As as downtown LA. Um, so you two moved out here a little about a year, year and a half ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. And did you have the idea to open up this restaurant and even in this location before you moved out here, or was it yeah. you, you came out? I mean, yes, kind of. We'll um, we'll give you the, the quick the quick uh, rundown. We like did a kind of crazy thing um, <laughs> right before we left New York. It was May 2014, um, and we did a like an ESOP collaborative dinner at Bon Appetit magazine in like their test kitchen and. Um, they were like, do you have news for us? They were like, wanted it to be like a press event in addition to it being this, this dinner there. Um, and we were like, well, I guess we could announce that we're going to open a place in L.A. <laughs> it's going to be a falafel shop and a restaurant. Yeah, we, we like just announced we were opening like either two restaurants or like a tandem concept restaurant. Which um, was the original idea. The original idea was like a falafel a shop. Restaurant combination. So sort of like a secret hidden falafel restaurant. Not like... secret exactly, but more like uh, Roberta's Pizza Kitchen kind of combo. You know, more like sure, a sure. casual in the front, a little bit more like a mullet, like yeah. <laughs> casual, casual in the front, front, party in the back. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I got you. I got you. Business in the front. Yeah. I think business in the front. Yeah. A little bit of a reverse mullet. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Some kind of a mullet. Um, so you announced it, and then you're like. Oh shit! We sort of just threw down the gauntlet. Well, yeah, we were like, we gotta just we were decide like, what we're doing yeah. and then do it. We were also just like um, totally down to be like, this is what we're doing, and just make it happen. So, how did you decide on not only the final concept, but how did the uh, partnership with Grand Central Market happen? So, they actually, when we announced that, um, they actually reached out to us, and I don't know if it was like a direct like causality, um, but I think someone had heard that we were moving here and wanted to open a falafel shop, and Kevin West, the guy who, like, helped bring in the new tenants and, like, curate the market, sure. um, he heard about us through this food friend of his, um, who I assume heard that we were moving to LA because of this press. Um, um, and they had concept of they, space in the market that they that was going to be available. They, yeah, they they wanted a falafel place and they wanted um, they were like talking apparently to someone else, we don't really know who um, but when they heard about us they like were pretty aggressive um, and interested and we, you know, we were moving from New York and obviously we had heard about Grand Central Market and we thought really hard for a while, for a few months, on um, whether it was the right move. You know, there was a lot of contract negotiation with this place. Um, and I think we were, like, back and forth a lot on whether it was the right decision for us. Um, but L.A. is a, it's a, it's a fickle town, and, like, choosing location here is not easy, especially if you aren't very familiar with it. And we recognized that at that time. We were like, we don't know L.A. well enough. Um, and... This is, it's and this pretty is, clear that there are people eating food in, in this space. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And also, it like dropped us into this really great community. It dropped us into like some visibility really quickly. It was, we think, still to this day, a great decision, um, and we're really happy to be a part of Grand Central Market. And it's been really good to us. 
So, what was it like opening up? Well, let's actually talk before opening up, but how did, how did you two decide officially that you two are going to be restaurant partners? Um, I think we just liked working with each other at Glassery. Um, I think we did anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we wanted to keep working with each other, and I think that the only way to do that is to, you know, form a partnership. It's like Sarah and I are on very similar levels. Um, I happened to get a restaurant opportunity to be the, the chef of first, but um, that's all kind of like circumstantial and doesn't speak to our uh, individual abilities. And I think that um, we just wanted to pursue and see, you know, I think we have a I good creative rapport. Definitely a good creative rapport. Um, I also think that intellectually a partnership was appealing to us in terms of sustainability and yeah. um, collaborative potential. Yeah, and like, um, yeah, sustainability is a, kind of a big one in terms of choosing a partnership um, yeah. over like the glory of like going it alone. Um, I think going it alone is sort of for suckers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and very I, lonely, and it's lonely, and like uh, as much work as a partnership takes, it's like you know, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> it does take a lot of work. It takes for a lot anyone, of work. Anyone who has a partner, <laughs> but it's also like way more rewarding, and it's really nice to share the experience with someone. It's great. Now, seeing how none of you did any stages at Oasis or Moods or things like that. Um, you don't know that. <laughs> did you? No. Okay. How did you How did you pick falafel? Like, what made you go well, down that route? Oh. So, Glassery um, was, like, Middle Eastern inspired sure. in concept. Um, and so I think that we both thought it would be a good idea for us to continue pursuing um, kind of the Middle Eastern Avenue. There's so much within uh, this, like... Larger cuisine. Yeah, larger cuisine. It's, it's like a giant geographical area, and um, there's just a lot to explore and a lot to discover. And we were trying to think about a casual concept um, that would make sense, that we could open and it could be manageable, and um, falafel really made sense. But I'd also say that... This, we are very much a non-traditional falafel shop, and I don't think there are other people that are doing that. So that was exciting for us. Non-traditional. The potential. Can you give an example of the non-traditional? Sure. Uh, I mean, we well, we bread. make our bread, which, like, most people don't. There are some places. I know there's, like, a place on Atlantic that does it yeah. uh, in Brooklyn. Yeah. But that's the only place I can really think of. So we make our bread, but I would say that... And like our, the flavor, the combinations. flavor combinations are non-traditional. Like we do a sandwich that has fennel seed labne and grilled cauliflower and right. pickled fennel and lots of um, mint and cilantro. Right. We do one that's like spiced carrots with like a walnut yogurt and dill. You know, it's just like not not traditional combinations. We just wanted to like have it all be much fresher as well. We like really focused on the texture and the quality of our falafel. We use organic, locally sourced sure. chickpeas, um, which is like not traditional at all um, in terms of, you know, how people think about falafel as well. People think of it, of it as like a cheap street food, and you know, our food isn't cheap, um, and we don't want it to be, truthfully. I mean, we like totally respect that kind of falafel and that kind of uh, approach to dining and to food. Like, we like see that place and we eat that way also. Um, but in terms of like furthering the vision of like what we want to see in the world, like we want to source our product really well. We want to support sure. people we um, respect and um, you know want to uh, continue pushing uh, the culinary world forward. Um, and I think that 
there's so much potential in the fast casual world to incorporate like higher ideals of cuisine and higher ideals of sustainability and sourcing that um, it felt like a really like good big opportunity for us to be able to do that. And so with over a year under your belt, how do you feel that people have responded to that? I think really well. Yeah, definitely really well. This market is interesting also because it really serves the cafeteria for people that work in downtown. So I think that we also get a lot of people that aren't thinking that hard about what it is that we're doing who are just like, oh, great, a vegetarian option. Sure. Or like, oh, that place is good. Totally. It's cool for us to get people who stumble upon us, and we do a lot. Um, I would it, say that is um, most of our daytime business. Yeah, and like people, like a lot of repeat business from the people who work in the neighborhood. Um, but it's it's nice that we get a pretty diverse cross section of um, customers, and not just people. Like if we had opened in Silver Lake Echo Park or something, or Los Feliz, where our new restaurant's going to be, I think that um, it would have been much more of uh, like a place that people knew that they were coming to, as opposed to a place that like people find because they're in the Central Market. Right. Right. Now. You have another project coming up yeah. with uh, these two up-and-comers, uh, John and Benny. Guys to watch. Guys to watch. Guys to watch. I think I think they might do some good stuff. I mean, we'll see. We'll you see. Um, and this takes you over. It's a little bit more closer to, to where my wife and I live. Yes. Uh, Great news. On, on the east side. Yeah. Um, so what's this project going to be? And you're also near one of the best restaurants out there as well, which is Homestay. We love We're on Homestay. the same block. I know. It's awesome. And we love... Uh, homestay, we love Brianna. Good, good block. And homestay. we're. I just that I want a chicken sandwich right now. It's a good oh man, there. You want to talk about just? Awesome. We, we could like have a whole episode of just us talking about her food. It's really good. They're opening up another location as well. Yeah. I um, so what is? Can you now? Do you know what the name of the yeah, restaurant is? It's called Kismet. Okay. And um, it should be opening this fall. Knocking on kind of wood or, or whatever material this is. Plastic. Plastic <laughs> composite. Um, and how did that come about? Well, also very organically. Very organically, for sure. We, uh, pretty much like right after moving here, Vinny um, actually reached out via Instagram. I think that he had uh, heard about Glassery, was kind of following um, that story a little bit and reached out on Instagram um, when he saw like I posted something from like Koreatown because that's where I live and he was like oh you live here now and uh, was like let's get breakfast and like super cool of him like this like really well known chef dude just like reaching out to of course me. So that's like, like so Vinny's uh, he's like the biggest hearted and wonderful such a nice guy um, and so he and I got breakfast and he you know we were like having a very nice conversation. He was like, you guys should come in and do uh, a, a friend's dinner. Yeah, like a dinner with friends pop-up thing in Animal. Um, so we scheduled that, and they hosted us for a one-night pop-up that went super well. And, like, same night, John was like, you guys want to open up a restaurant with us? And we're like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> we mean, were like... We had also been thinking about a lot of other partnerships, yeah. and then when this was an opportunity, very easily we were like, this is right. Yeah. I mean, we had definitely, like, had a lot of other things kind of come our way, and, like, a lot of things that we were debating, and um, this felt way more natural. 
And so what's the premise going to be, or the approach? So it'll be uh, also kind of Middle East, Mediterranean inspired in terms of like the flavors. Um, it's going to be an all-day restaurant, um, so breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which is a beast, but also very exciting in terms of servicing the neighborhood, which mm-hmm. we're like super happy to be like a neighborhood hub. Yeah. And um, also because that block is going to be so great, it's going to be like really nice to like be open all day with our uh, our neighbors who are there like. Go get them. Tigers opening there. I don't know if sure. it's gonna be Go Get Em or if it's gonna be a GMB, but it's gonna be a Go Get Em. Uh, go Get Em and uh, Home State Bar Covell. There's gonna be a McDonald's ice cream, and then the Silver Lake Music Conservatory is right next to it. So, awesome. so it's a great block, and so it's gonna feel like really a home. Um, and it's gonna be sharing oriented for the most part, especially at dinner. I think a little less so during the day, but lots of uh, vegetables. Lots of vegetables. Yeah, pretty pretty fresh, pretty light. Awesome. Fun, yeah, bustling, fun, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> I, I'm sure it will be. Listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Um, where can people find more info about Mad Capra? Instagram? Instagram's great. It's we're at, at Mad Capra LA. Try spelling it. But um, our website is also madcapra.com, M A D C A P R A.com. And then Kismet, also. And Kismet, stay tuned. Yeah. Kismet Los Angeles. Awesome. On Instagram. Well, very excited. Very excited about it, and uh, I can't wait to eat maybe the rabbit dish. Maybe the rabbit dish. Maybe the rabbit dish. <laughs> it could maybe, happen. Maybe, and if not all the time, then maybe it's a special. Uh, we have uh, a track from Porches coming up here. Love, Love Porches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great. I was in, my wife and I were on our honeymoon, and we were flying back. We were in Tokyo at the Narita Airport, and they were playing a, a track oh. I, I, in the airport. That's so cool. I know. And it was like... Because, you know, you spend the whole time, you, like, you hear music out when you're in another country, and you're like, I don't know anything, unless it's, like, Black Eyed Peas or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And then to be like, wait, what? Yeah, who got to choose the music today? I don't know. And but, they've made it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that. <laughs> That's awesome uh, news. But yeah, the chat out the porches uh, here on Saki Tunes. I couldn't help from noticing you across the bar Hello, I'm running, I'm falling apart Do you want me back? Like I want you You said I'm Edith and I've always been a mess Well, nice to meet you, maybe we'll undress But we could just slide down We both could use the rest So I hold I hold on to a dim wit cigarette And I take a deep breath Cause I know you can And I felt to greatness when I laid within your grassy realm Crawled across the floor to 
patched up helm Your hips the balmy swell In porno And I said, hey, would you want to join the loner metal band? And you said, maybe we could just hold hands. Well, if that's the only place they'd land, I'd die a happy So I hold on, I hold on to a dim-lit cigarette And I take a deep breath, cause I know you can't, I know This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Cameron Orr, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, one of the things I liked when kind of reading up about you is that you had to make like a crucial decision about which instrument to pursue when you were in college. Uh, how did you choose uh, between the violin and the piano? Or how did you come to, the, to deciding to go with the violin? Um, I don't know. I think at that point it was just felt like more of a... Um, for, by that by that time, I just felt like more of a soul instrument, I guess. A soul instrument? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, uh, like, I uh, I always really liked. I guess the thing that I had liked about piano um, is the big sound that you could get out of it. Yeah. Um, you know the fullness of the chords and everything like that. Um, but uh, I guess by the time I got to the end of high school. I guess I just felt like violin was more like a singing instrument, so I think that's probably why. I think you can definitely determine someone's personality by how they play the violin and a bit of uh, who they are, what they feel, more than some other instruments. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and so um, as you kind of moved into the piano, I know that you also uh, incorporated like different pedals and looping, so like, how did you come across that and how did you work that into you know your classical training um I think it's uh well two things I think it's somewhere in the back of my mind um I had a member of a good friend of mine that had um in college like show me Andrew Bird stuff um and I think that got stowed away somewhere um for sure uh but uh actually getting into the pedal things was um you know uh something that happened, I guess, after college and just kind of 
um, through a series of life events. Um, so the first thing was, I guess I, I had gotten some pedals just to affect the sound a little bit when I started doing jazz in the end at the end of college, um, and uh, the the two pedals that I had gotten first were I guess reverb and delay, um, but delay has that. Uh, um, looping feature on it, mm -hmm. so I was definitely, you know, playing around with that, and sometimes just for practice, like, uh, you know, lay down a bass line or whatever, and then improvise over the changes. But uh, um, so I, that was kind of the the first playing around with it. But I think also just appealed to me because harmony always has been a big thing for me, especially like playing piano and stuff and playing around with chords. So. Um, but uh, I didn't have a, I didn't actually get a, a like actual looping pedal for a long time. But definitely it was like, oh man, it'd be cool, because also the delay features are so cool. It'd be cool if I could, you know, use both. And not only that, like, because I was doing jazz at the time, a lot of heads are longer than the 40 seconds that mm -hmm. you, <laughs> um, right. delay pedal gives you. So, um, so that was like a thing. And then uh, after college, uh, or yeah. This is after college. This is in my, um, I guess maybe my second year teaching or something. So after college, I, I uh, was teaching in the public schools for as a music teacher for like three years. I think in the second year or something, um, it's uh, a woman uh, Emily had reached out to me, um, who uh, you know now is a good friend, but that, at that time was kind of like out of the blue. Um, and uh, she was looking for a violinist to incorporate into her, her band um, called Emily Danger, and uh, she had got my name from um, from an ex-boyfriend that I'd done some like gigs and stuff with. So anyway, so I ended up playing with um, with her and and um, guys adding more to more effects, um, and uh, I forget at what point I got the loop pedal. Um, but definitely was thinking about, you know, using that in the context of the band um, and uh, just to fill out the sound more. And um, for a while, I was a little sort of confused by it. Mainly, I couldn't figure out how to erase stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I finally uh, consulted the manual in, you know, a fit of desperation and... It was a pretty simple fix. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like, if I only had some tool to teach me how to do yeah. this. <laughs> no. Um, Let's hear a solo. Yeah, what, but, what, I'd love to hear something with, yeah. the, with the loop pedal. Cool. What are you going to play? So I'm going to play a tune called uh, Solidarity. Um, so I had a couple years ago this show, at, um, I think, yeah, about two years ago at, at Rockwood Music Hall, and basically, this was towards the, the beginning of the, the Fight for 15, which is a movement to raise um, the minimum wage to $15 an hour mm -hmm. and get everybody in a union and stuff like that. So, this had gone out to them, and this, so it's kind of been a dedication piece since then. So.
So there's a strong link between music uh, and activism in your work, uh, especially with the last piece you played. Uh, how do you balance it, and you know what lessons do you learn, and kind of you know it be coming off as a way to get your message through, and you know using music as the medium. Um, so that's something that I'm still trying to kind of figure out because um, they all take a lot of time. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, and uh, none of those things are necessarily things that pay very well. So then you also still have to figure out where your money is coming from. So, um, so I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's um, definitely a balance uh, that I'm uh, still trying to figure out, but. Um, um, what I've been doing uh, lately is just kind of basically at shows, um, uh, just saying a little bit about uh, giving giving a piece off to you know some particular struggle that's going on, and and try to you know give a plug as to how people could get involved with that. Um, and uh, but I think definitely um, you know being being involved myself is an important part of that you know so it cuz it, i mean obviously um talking about these thi- like talking about these things whether it's a uh, struggle for you know fair wages or for racial justice or um you know defending democratic rights and stuff like that no matter what it is it's like calling attention to the issues is important but also with that like also need action <laughs> so um so I guess yeah, just um, using using it as a medium not only to talk about things going on, but encouraging people to actually, you know, get plugged in somewhere and, and doing some work would be good. And um, how much do you, when you find that balance, does it inspire certain pieces that you're writing? Like especially the piece you just played, um, how does the inspiration of you know fifteen dollars minimum wage? Like the different like song structure, balance, mood, things like that in your song. Um, I think it's less. Uh, it's not so much like. Um, uh, and I have tried to do this. It doesn't always, and it hasn't worked. At least not yet. Is to actually like try to write a piece for something. Sure. It's more like I have these songs, and then as I'm playing them, because I'm also just because of busking, like I'm playing them like almost like. Three, four times a week, or whatever. So then, as I'm playing it, I'll have images coming to mind, you know, um, or thoughts, or whatever. And it just, um, at some point, I feel like there's a connection. Um, so it's and also especially because most of my stuff doesn't really have lyrics, mm-hmm. so it's more, yeah, it's more of just like a feeling. And usually, that connection comes after the song already exists. But yeah. that's great. Uh, can we hear another song? Yeah. Uh, what are you going to play? So this is a tune called AstroTurf. This one actually has a title. And this mm-hmm. is um, this is, uh, this is just a, a typical um, uh, love lost song. But there's no... You could look up the lyrics. They're like on my site or Tumblr or whatever. You could find them. But I, I don't really sing them. But anyway. So this is AstroTurf.
Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> so what do you have coming up? What's the rest of your summer look like? Um, in, t- in terms of music stuff, uh, I'm doing a show at uh, Rockwood um, Music Hall on September 3rd um, at 9, I believe. I have to check that time again. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, the rest of my life, I guess just trying to stay alive and <laughs> and then also um uh, i mean if people feel like getting involved um i've also been part of an effort to uh, organize peace vigils around the city um in response to the ongoing police violence and stuff like that and basically um a lot of people are, are talking about how um you know we need more than spontaneous responses to incidents of violence and stuff we need um kind of more of a sustained strategy and stuff like that so it's kind of our effort to do that um and uh, you could find, you could uh, get involved at bit.do slash peace vigil and basically sign up. Um, so doing that, and then also uh, be going down to Richmond, Virginia on August uh, 12th, uh, 12th and 13th, where um, low-wage workers will be developing a platform uh, going forward for the Fight for 15, which is, you know, not only fighting for um, union rights and, and better wages, but also been involved with um, fighting for immigration justice and um, racial justice and uh, like fighting for affordable uh, child care and affordable housing stuff like that all the things that affect you know all of us um, so uh, so anyway so uh, August 12 and 13 being in Richmond Virginia um, for that and uh, there's buses going down you can get involved with that too if you feel like but anyway so there's some things going on with me and then yeah besides that just basically trying to keep them keep uh, keep food in my mouth I hear you man well, <laughs> last, uh, last question though yeah. favorite place to busk most receptive. Um, it kind of I I like Hoyt Skirmerhorn a lot actually. Mm. Um, it's uh, um, a you don't get a whole lot of competition. <laughs> like it's kind of <laughs> hard to get on the metropolitan spot in the G sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a it's been a cool spot for me. Um, I uh, also play at Atlantic Barclays a lot. Um, uh, the BQ um is a pretty resonant platform. Um, yeah, those are some of my. Dave the Engineer approves. Say it again. Dave the Engineer approves, oh. yeah. Um, cool. Well, um, where can people find your music? Um, you already announced where you can get more of your activism work, but where can people find your music, find you, we're busking, yeah. put That's, food in your mouth? It's uh, CameronOrMusic.com, or it's two R's, um, and yeah, and uh, all my contact info and shows and stuff. And awesome. So we want to make sure that we get one last song in, but thank you to the fine people at Heritage. Anna, Meatball, Mom, Dad, Ornella, everyone. Appreciate it. Uh, what song are you going to take us out with? Uh, I'm going to do, do our covers okay? Yeah. Covers okay. are great. So I'm going to do a cover of a Radiohead tune um, called Subterranean Homesick Alien. Perfect. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>